Well, good morning, church. Just before we look to God's word, let's pause and we'll pray. Lord, as we come before you just now, we give you thanks from the depths of our hearts for the opportunity that is ours to simply come to this place and to dwell in your presence. And so, God, as we look to your word just now, we ask your blessing upon it. We pray that you would speak clearly to our hearts and mind this day and that we would come away from these moments having a deeper, um, more responsive relationship with you. That we would, if we find ourselves sort of sitting on that fence of belief, that the words of Jesus this morning would penetrate our hearts, stop doubting, and believe. Lord, we thank you. We ask your blessing. In Christ's name, amen. It is wonderful to have you sharing with us today, whether you're here in person or, or watching online. We are grateful and thankful uh, that you've chosen to join with us today. And it is my prayer, as I have already prayed, that God, by his Spirit, would meet us here and that he would minister to us through his word. I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible with you, to open up to John chapter 20. Uh, to a passage that's likely titled, Jesus Appears to Thomas. Um, and it's a great passage of Scripture for us to consider because it really cuts to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's sort of this interaction between Thomas and Jesus is sort of foundational uh, to knowing what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And so if, you're fi if you find yourself here today, um, and you're not sure what you believe, maybe you find yourself sort of doubting what all this is about in the first place. Uh, if you're not sure, maybe you're traveling through a season of doubt in your personal life and you're questioning. Um, or if you find yourself wanting to grow in your faith uh, and in your belief, I pray that God's word would speak to us today as we give some consideration to this interaction between who would become known as Doubting Thomas and his Savior, the risen Jesus Christ. But let's begin by sort of orienting ourselves in this passage of Scripture. We sort of pick up in the middle of a few things that have happened, and so we want to connect and make sure we know what's going on. Following the events of Good Friday, when the disciples are still mourning, they're still grieving Jesus, three days later, the women burst into the room, proclaiming that Jesus has risen, that he isn't in the grave anymore, he's alive. Remember this? Easter Sunday, we talked about this. But this message falls on deaf ears initially. Um, the disciples gathered there, they, they can't believe it. They doubt it, maybe, even. These women come bursting in with what sounds like nonsense. They're talking about, you know, the stone was gone, and there were these guys there, and and Jesus is gone, and the graves, the, the clothes are there, but, but he's not. He's risen, and there were these guys who told us. And they go on and on, and uh, the disciples reject it. They say, this is simply just impossible. This is, it can't be real. Uh, all except Peter, who takes it to heart and runs to the tomb and looks to see for himself. while well, looking for that personal encounter uh, with Jesus Christ, but he's forced to leave in sort of wonder and in amazement at what had happened. In verse 19, then, we read later that same day, so Easter Sunday night, Easter Sunday evening, the disciples are gathered together in a home, and John includes this little detail. 
John 20 and 19, he says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. The doors are locked as the disciples meet and gather together in secret. See, the Jewish leaders who crucified Jesus, they're still on the warpath. They're still on the lookout for his followers, and they want to squash this message of Jesus before it gets any farther. And so his disciples, they hide, they, they meet behind locked doors and meet in secret so that they wouldn't share the same fate as their master. But even though the doors were locked, and even though they were hiding and meeting in secret, Jesus suddenly came and stood among them. Now, I don't know what that looked like. Have you ever thought about that? Just think about that for a minute. What might that have looked like? Picture yourself in the living room of your own house. About nine o'clock at night, you've got the doors locked. There's no one around. And all of a sudden, sitting next to you is someone you thought was dead. Right? Scripture doesn't tell us what exactly that looked like. Did Jesus just open the locked door and come in among them? Did he just appear and was there? Did he just sort of nonchalantly come strolling into the kitchen? Hey, guys. How do, scripture doesn't tell us what that looks like. For me, it's fun to think about, but at the same time, it's kind of burying the plot. I mean, why would Scripture talk about that? That's not the important piece of the message. Jesus was dead, and now he's not. And that's the piece. How he got there is not so important. As the disciples stare in bewilderment and, and awe, could it, could it really be him? Is this some trick? Did we eat some bad fish and we're sort of hallucinating this? What's, what's happening here? But Jesus is pretty quick to sort of shut that down. In John 20 and 19, the second part of that verse, Jesus came, stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus comes and shows his nail-scarred hands and his feet, pulls up his shirt a little bit to reveal the scar from the spear that was driven into his side. And the disciples recognize it. This is Jesus. It really is Jesus. In the book of Luke, as Luke tells this story, uh, it's recorded the disciples are, are even then almost too amazed to believe that it's Jesus. And so Jesus says, do you have anything to eat? They share a piece of fish and Jesus sits and eats the fish that they were sharing together. Uh, it's really him. It's really him. He's alive. And so last week, Carolyn uh, shared how after this scene, Jesus breathed on his disciples, pneuma, breath, spirit, how he blessed them with the spirit, the one who brings understanding and wisdom, and knowledge, the ability to, to make connections, to remember what was read in Scripture, or what was prophesied in the Old Testament, and connect it to what they saw in lived reality, in who Jesus was and is. And it's a great scene, and it's a wonderful scene, and, and Carolyn last week broke that down for us. But not everyone's there. Who's missing? Thomas. Thomas is not among them. So the next day, presumably, 
The disciples go and they find Thomas and they say, Thomas, you're not going to believe this. Jesus is alive and we saw him. And Thomas goes, yeah, you're right. I don't believe it. That's impossible. And here's Thomas who is portrayed throughout the Gospels. If you look up and do a bit of a character study on Thomas, I think it's a little unfair that he gets the doubter sort of term tied to him. Uh, And that's sort of what he becomes known for. Because all through the ministry of Jesus, Thomas was sort of one that could be counted on. Uh, He's the one who uh, in uh, John uh, chapter, let's see, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit because I'm so excited. Thomas wasn't there in the room when this happened. They say, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, no, unless I see the nail marks in his hand, put my finger on where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe that it's Jesus. And I think if we're honest here, initially, we can hardly blame Thomas. I think if we're really honest, confess that maybe we might even share his response. I think sometimes, like I said, Thomas gets a bad rap um, because of his response. But I think many of us would probably speak the same way and question it ourselves. What has happened was impossible as far as he knew. Jesus was dead and people don't come back from the dead. And Thomas saw the nails. He saw the spear go into the side. He witnessed Jesus's lifeless body be lowered from the cross, carried to the tomb. In the mind of Thomas, there's no coming back from that, especially three, four days later. You don't come back from that. And so he responds. He says, look, guys, I know you think you saw Jesus, but that's impossible. So you do you and you can believe that stuff. But as for me, unless I can see it myself and put my fingers and feel the the scars from the nails in his hand, unless I can touch the scar on his side from that spear that I saw go in there, I won't believe it's Jesus. You saw somebody else. Until I can do that, I cannot believe that it's Jesus. And I think sometimes we can fall into that same sort of trap of, of doubt. Even as committed Christians, I think there are times when we can find ourselves working through uh, a season of doubt. Maybe we experience a, a trial of faith and find ourselves asking, does God even care? Is he even there? Are my prayers falling on silent ears? Maybe we even go as far to, in those crisis moments to ask, do I even believe any of this anymore? I think if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we can think back and remember a time when, when we were blessed and we felt fulfilled in our belief and in our calling, we felt loved, but maybe today we don't feel like that. Maybe we're in a different place today. We find ourselves looking for blessing, but having to endure trial. Maybe we lose sight and we ask, where is God? Maybe even go so far as to challenge God in the midst of our doubt. And maybe phrase it a different way. But from our heart, we hear where we speak, unless I see, unless I feel, I won't believe. And that's the case for Thomas. This is a season of doubt for him. Because if you think about it, 
He is a, a follower of Jesus, literally one who followed Jesus around. He's heard his teaching. He's committed to following him all over the, the Holy Lands as we know them today. Thomas is the one in John 11 when the disciples are afraid to go back to Bethany with Jesus. Jesus gets word that Lazarus has died or is dying. He's really sick. But the last time the disciples were in Bethany, they all nearly got stoned, all nearly got killed. And so word comes and Jesus says, yeah, we're going we're to go to Bethany when I'm ready. And uh, the disciples are like, don't you remember what happened there? We can't go back there. And it's Thomas who says, nope, let's all get ready and let's go with him. That if he's going to die, we're going to die too. Committed follower of Jesus Christ. This is the Thomas who saw miracles happen, who saw Lazarus be raised from the dead, called out of the grave, and yet now finds himself doubting. So we can't be too hard on ourselves, hey, when we journey those seasons of doubt. There's no doubt that this has been a painful week for Thomas. But notice back in our passage here, Bring you back to John chapter 20. Where is Thomas? What's he doing? Well, here he's gathered with the other disciples. He doubts, yes, but he doesn't abandon his faith in the midst of this trial of belief. Yes, he doesn't share the experience that the disciples who, of the disciples who saw Jesus, who had the opportunity to, to touch his scars. But despite that, despite his doubt, Thomas still surrounds himself with those who care, with those who he can share and talk with. And I think the struggle of his doubt is made lighter because he doesn't carry it on his own. And he gathers with his friends to hold him up. And I know this is a little of an aside, but I pray that that's something that, that we can be known for as a church, okay? That when we struggle that there are people who will come alongside and hold us up. That when we find ourselves doubting or maybe withdrawing, that there will be people who will say, why don't you come over to our house for dinner tonight? Let's see how you're doing and just check in. That we can be people who can be relied upon to journey with our brothers and sisters who struggle and who are struggling. And two, may we be courageous enough to ask for help when we need it. And to be honest and say, you know what? I'm really struggling in my face these days. Back in our text. John chapter 20 and verse 26. A week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. And I love the words of Jesus here, these restorative words and, and restorative actions. It's a direct response to the questions that Thomas has raised, to his doubts. Jesus walks into the room, says, peace be with you. Sort of that standard greeting walks in, is like, hi guys, it's me again, how are you doing? And then he turns and he looks at Thomas. And he says, Thomas, before Thomas can even ask, 
He says, Thomas, why don't you put your hands here? See this? Stop doubting and believe. And as I read these words from Jesus' lips, I don't think they're spoken from anger and frustration. I don't read them like that. I think this is a tender moment of, of restorative ministry that happens here. It's like Jesus says, hey, Thomas, I know you might not get it yet, but I want you to believe. I know what you said last week. So just look at my hands and my side. It's really me. You can stop doubting it and you can believe. In the original Greek uh, that this is written in, John phrases Jesus' words this way. He says, Thomas, don't become unbelieving, the Greek epistos, but become believing, pistos. And I love that because it's, it speaks to growth. It speaks to movement. It speaks to action and response. It's not one and done. Jesus doesn't say, look, now you saw me. You can believe. He says, you saw me. Now become believing. And there's a depth and a richness there to that. And in this moment, this sacred and holy moment, it serves even today, I think, as a reminder of God's redemptive power through Jesus Christ, who has the power to, to silence doubt and to instill a, a holy confidence in his people. And I say that because Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. The scene closes then with Jesus offering sort of a commentary. And I think both for the disciples who are gathered as a bit of a frame for them in their ministry, but two, for those who would read it in the years that follow for us today. From the New Living Translation, uh, John 20 and verse 29, then Jesus says, you believe me because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And again, I don't think this is a scolding. I don't think this is a minimizing of Thomas's sort of re-solidified faith. I don't think it's, yeah, you see because you believe. But what about everybody else who won't be able to see? That's not what's happening here. This is a simple acknowledgement that, that yeah, Thomas's faith is, is privileged and it's blessed because he had the opportunity, the privilege of seeing and, and touching and, and hearing the risen Lord in the flesh. But there will be others who will not have that privilege, people like me and you. And yet we too are still called to believe. But thankfully, God's plan covers us too. In John 14, before Jesus' death, he's spending these sacred moments during the Last Supper with his disciples. And he includes this uh, promise, really. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because he isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans, Jesus says to his believers. I will come to you. And so we praise God today for in his infinite wisdom and mercy, 
He's not left us alone as those who've not had the privilege that the disciples had. But this wonderful promise is ours, for we have been blessed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And his ministry is to fill the hearts and minds of the believers so that we can know the living Jesus, despite not being able to see him, that he will be in us and we will know. And so what do we learn? What do we learn today from Thomas's story? How do we not become unbelieving, but how do we become believing? How can we conquer and overcome our doubts during those seasons when we question? I think like Thomas, I think we can surround ourselves with those who can help to carry our burden. I think we can invite others into our journey who can speak truth and, and hold us up. I was speaking with someone this week, um, and they were sharing a bit of their struggle. They were having some, some hard times. And I said, I'm not sure what I can do. And they said, I just need you to listen. Okay, I can do that. I listened. We prayed and we shared. And I don't know that it fixed the problem, but it didn't make it worse. And that person certainly went away feeling renewed and uplifted in their spirit, re-encouraged to continue the journey. So I think we can hold one another up when we encounter those seasons of doubt. We can invite people that we trust into those spaces. I think we can seek to draw close to God, praying for a renewed and personal experience of his Holy Spirit. I think we can spend time praying and seeking his voice. We can be still before him and invite God to move as we read and meditate on his word. It's living and active and meets us right where we are and never returns void. And I think, too, to overcome doubt, we can confidently rely on the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to draw us back to our Heavenly Father, to squash our doubt with his overwhelming love, and to remind us of his faithfulness, his goodness, and his love for us. It's such a blessing to know that love of God. I think about my kids and how much I love my kids. There are times, I think, when things happen, they can ask themselves, well, do you even care? You know, they fall down and you're like, oh, you get up, you're okay. You know, hugging a kiss and away you go. And they're like, oh, dad, that's not what I need. Like, I'm dying. You know, like it tends to be a little drama in our house. I don't know. But there is, there's this sense of, okay, I want you to think about it for a moment. How have I loved you in the past, kid? What have we done together? What worry do you have in your life or concern that hasn't been met by your earthly father or mother? And I think about that in our spiritual walk. How much more when I doubt, when I question, when I'm hurt, when I don't know where to go, when I've fallen, 
how much more can I go back to my heavenly Father and reconsider all that he has done, reconsider all the ways that he has shown his great love for me? And it will have the effect of just busting doubt to pieces. And it's replaced with faith because God is faithful. And if he has done, and he has done, and he has done, that he will do, and he will do, and he already is. We can confidently rely on the work of the Spirit in our hearts to draw us back to our Heavenly Father, to squash our doubts with his overwhelming love, and to remind us of his faithfulness, of his goodness, and his love for us. Doubt and disbelief, learn how to overcome it. Here's the heart of it. It is overcome by dwelling in the presence of God Most High. And so today, as we reflect on his word, I want to invite us to share in a song together. I'm going to get the worship team to come back up and join me again if they would. We're going to sing a song, and honestly, it's more of a, a prayer, I think, than a song or a verse. The words say, God, I look to you, and I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of seeking. And in response, the Course says, And I will love you, Lord, my strength. And I will love you, Lord, my shield. And I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you. And I pray that these words reflect your heart's desire today. I pray that they're an echo of the, the prayer of your heart. And today I want there to be a space for us to meet with God Most High, to be intentional in praying together and claiming this space. I want to remind you that there's a sacred place just out here in our fireside room. We hold it as sacred every Sunday morning. We claim it as holy ground because it's set aside in these moments and the moments following our service as a place where we can meet with our Heavenly Father in prayer. There is a place where God wants to meet with us and we guard it as sacred and holy. And there are people who will pray with you if you want that, who will help and come alongside and journey with. Or if you want to pray on your own, that's okay too. I think that these days, one of the tools of the devil really is to cause doubt. Because doubt breeds division. And division breeds conflict. And conflict, when unresolved, breeds sin, leads us away from where God wants to, to work. It is the greatest prayer. Part of John 14, when Jesus prays for his, the believers, those who would come, he say, I pray that they would be one, as you and I, Father, are one, Jesus says. And so this day, if you are in a season of doubt, if you feel attacked by, by the evil in this world, if you find yourself unbelieving, I pray that today, 
we would encounter the risen Lord by his Spirit. And that he would move and speak just like he knew what Thomas needed to hear. Come, put your fingers here. That he would minister to our hearts in the same way. And that we would respond as Thomas did. My Lord and my God. However God is moving in your heart today, let's let's let there be freedom in this place for us to respond according to his Spirit's promptings. Let's truly use this moment as we share together in prayer and in song to take these words to heart, to not become unbelieving but to become believing. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you, and we won't be overwhelmed. We won't be overwhelmed with doubt or fear, but we will be renewed by the moving of your Spirit in this place and in our hearts and in our minds. And I pray a special blessing, God, for those who may be doubting for those who are journeying difficult seasons where they're, they're caused to wonder or, or question, maybe even God questioned the, the foundation of their faith. I pray that today, in an amazing way, your spirit would speak to them and that you would meet us all as we spend these moments together. We guard them for you, God. We pray that you would move by your spirit. We love you, Lord, forever all our days. We will love you. Amen.